it's an honor here to talk with uh, Dr. Eric Helms from New Zealand. I'm in Costa Rica, so uh, you people in the U.S. were we're in completely different places. So poor Rita. Um, and so this is like I guess you would say this is the second episode of Bro Radio of myself talking um, to Eric, and we're just gonna have a chat today about is it possible to gain lean body mass? Is it possible to get more bigger, which is the scientific term for hypertrophy? I think Brad mm-hmm. Schoenfeld said that in his last article, yep, uh, which, is not, was nice, which is nice to see. Uh, and so is it possible to get to get bigger with without a access, without an extreme excess of calories? Like, so this idea of, of dirty bulking versus lean bulking. Um, and so I know that you have a study coming up. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about like those groups and what you're looking at and, and what, what your hypothesis is there? Yeah, so this is a pretty cool study. It's um, it's Legion Athletics. Um, you guys might have heard of Mike Matthews. He's that that's his supplement company. Uh, he they they've generously funded this study. It's not at all related to their supplements. It's just them hooking us up. Um, so yeah, it's a Legion Athletics funded study that we're running in conjunction with a couple of the other folks who are on the advisory board of Legion. So uh, James Krieger's running stats. Uh, Brad Dieter is running the uh, nutrition side of the study. Um, and then I've also got uh, uh, Steve Taylor, who's now helping out. He's the Team 3DMJ RD. So I'm blinded to what's going on the nutrition side on a participant-by-participant basis. But I know study design because I designed it. So I'll be the lead author on this. But in order handling the, uh, the resistance training portion here at AUT, and like you said, I'm in New Zealand. Two Americans, neither one living in, this, in the States. <laughs> so, yeah, what we've got going is an eight-week uh, study. We have three groups, um, and each of the individuals in the study is going to be randomly assigned to one of the three groups. We have the goal of someone maintaining weight throughout the study, so eating at maintenance. We have the goal of another group being in a 5% surplus, so very slow weight gain, and another group at more, more aggressive, three times that surplus at 15% surplus. Um, and then they're all on a three times per week, full body hypertrophy style program. Uh, each time they step in the gym, they're benching and they're squatting and they've got a circuit of accessory work afterwards, uh, to be in the study we're right now, we're currently looking at men, although we have a, a female planned study th- that's going to replicate as well. Um, so we're looking at men who have at least, um, body weight and uh, bench body weight and a half squat and two years of resistance training experience with the squat and the bench. We're looking at changes in muscle thickness in the uh, the arms and the legs, so quads, triceps primarily. We're looking at uh, some of eight skinfold thickness change with a really high quality anthropometry, so not deriving a body fat percentage of that, just looking at the skinfold change, so it's really mm-hmm. reliable. Uh, so ultrasound muscle thickness, um, skinfold change, and then we have one RMs of the the squat and the bench. Um, and yeah, we're running it for eight weeks and we're going to do some comparisons and then just see there's associations as well between how much weight someone gains and the proportion of lean to fat mass. Um, and it's, it's, it's slow going. Anytime you manipulate people's nutrition and their training, it's kind of a big ask trained individuals. Yeah, but right, sure. right now we've finished two people. We have another three who are currently enrolled in, in the middle of the study. We've got a few more that are coming through. So I predict it's going to be a little ways before we finish this study. It'll probably be 2020. Um, but I'm pretty excited about it because right now, as you know, um, we hang our hat on, on Garth 2013. And yeah. now just literally th- this last month, another, another study was published, which we reviewed in mass, which we can talk about, but we have pretty limited data. So we kind of have to go on theory and anecdote. So I think it's important stuff. Yeah. I, I can't, I can't agree more like this. Cause this, question is so big for trained lifters because you could if your goal is to, if you're trying to stay lean for the entire year you could you can waste years um yep. and and i think if you if you look at meadow stuff if you look at your stuff if you look at even what i'm thinking which is a, is a cluster of a lot of things most of us are saying like hey stay once you get to stay in this window right so like stay in this window of nine to 15 percent body fat maybe even 17 we don't really know but just window it out. And I think both of us are trying, we're trying to figure out who can gain where. And I think mm-hmm. that's the, that's the, your, your study population will probably be a little bit less trained than our study population. Um, I think that you have, your study has, has more control. Um, I'm not blinded. So my, the study that we're running is, is more just, and it's not even a study. It's like, Hey, we're offering these camps 
come to these camps. We're going to offer coaching in between the camps. So there's not the same level of, of, of scientific rigor that you have. Um, and, and I think and, you're selling yourself short. I, I've seen for the audience, I, I've seen the, the manuscript here. This, this is legitimate peer reviewed quality published research. It's a little more on the applied ecologically valid side, but I definitely think, I mean, honestly, there's tons of research that gets published where the the lead author is not necessarily blind to the nutrition protocol or vice versa. That's that's a nice feather in the cap, but it's certainly not like doesn't count, you know, <laughs> what you're doing. I think what you're doing is really important. Yeah, my my goal is to, is to really why I want to do this is is not I want to obviously add to the field, but my my hypothesis is that if you're FFMI, we'll say you're genetic, say you're, you know, you're 85% of your genetic potential versus, you know, 96% of your ge genetic potential. Both those people are, are going to come in extremely trained in a research study. Like they're going to blow the water out of any research trained population. But 85% is a lot different than 96%. Like those are huge. We're talking probably a decade there. Yeah. Um, and so my goal is to get kind of those two different and maybe get those two different levels and see, see if, cause I know that you're, you've competed. And so over 2011 was your last, you walked on stage mm -hmm. and then now you're what? Seven pounds bigger than that. More bigger. Yeah. If we, if we look at my stage weights in 2011 versus now, I was a little heavier actually in 09, but I think some of that was just, I was so jacked up from contest prep. I was retaining some, some water from stress, but Overall, if I was to look at body comp now, uh, having just competed in April and being leaner now, going to get on stage again next month in July, and where I was in August 2011 on stage, I'd say like seven pounds difference of, of, of getting on stage mass. And some of that is not necessarily um, I'm that much bigger. It's that I've done a better job this prep of retaining muscle mass and strength as well. So if I if I really had to like nail down and tell you a number, I think I've probably gained a legitimate five pounds of, of lean body mass from my peak in let's say the 2011 off season before I started dieting to to now. So you know eight years to put on five pounds. How do you measure that? So and to and to put it into context, that study that just came out out of Brazil, like mm -hmm. their dirt their dirty bulk group put on 5.3 pounds of muscle in a month. Like now, here, <laughs> that, now here's the thing though. There, there's, and I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because I think that that study by Ribeiro that just came out, we we covered it in mass. They didn't actually measure changes in it was it was skin bones, mass. right? So what they did, and this is I think really important, and and no offense to the authors, but so what they did was they did anthropometry, and then they used an equation that has been shown previously validated with DEXA to mirror changes in in in, in skeletal lean mass. Actually, so. It's skeletal lean muscle mass is what they use. It's an equation. Now get this. The variables in that equation are race, height, weight, gender, and that's it. So they didn't even use their skin bone measurements in the Exactly. And let, me, let me just make sure I have that right. Yeah, so it's skeletal muscle mass equals 0.244 times body weight plus 7.8 times height plus 6.6 .6 times, uh, what does S stand for? Sex. Um, and then they multiply that by a age and race. So age, race, sex, height, which means that the only variable that's changing in that equation is body weight. So the more mass you gain using this equation, the more skeletal muscle mass you gain. So what we did to review this article, because again, no offense to the authors, I, I don't think that aspect should have been kept through peer review. I think that what they should have asked them to do is go, hey, you did skin folds. That's great. You got a body fat percentage. Let's just use whatever's left as the change in lean body mass. That would be more valid. Because so, the, the, the equation that they used here has been validated at the group level in very recreationally trained or untrained individuals. But the people in this study are competitive bodybuilders. They're know? pretty trained. Their FMIs yeah, are like 23.5. It's awesome, yeah, and 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 they they've been they're, they're most likely like for, for all intents and purposes drug free, which tells us something as well. They were three months not taking anabolics and going into the study, and while like you know we worry about fake natties on YouTube, when someone's actually going to join a study and be tested, you know they they're not they don't have any incentive to lie, and someone who's been off gear for just three months isn't going to go on a dirty bulk, you know, like they 
that's not going to go be pretty bad. <laughs> yeah. That's not going to go well. <laughs> yeah, that would result in let's see how much fat I can gain in three months. So I'm, I'm there's one guys, guy that lost muscle. That's, that's exactly, legitimately, right? So so what would happen? These eleven male bodybuilders who are who are at least three months clean are probably like natural bodybuilders or. Um, and like I said, you know, from a 23 FFMI kind of average standpoint, you've probably got some people who are close to their genetic potential. So when you back calculate this and you figure out what was the actual uh, percentage change in, in fat-free mass versus lean mass, that's when you start getting some good numbers, which we reported in mass. This is the most recent one just came out yesterday. And I'll give you the scoop, even if you're a non-subscriber. So the, the high energy group, so that's the group that's eating more, um, they increased their fat-free mass by 3%, which is about 2.4 kgs. And they increased their fat mass by 12.4%. That's 1.8 kgs. And then the low-energy group, so small surplus, they increased their fat mass by 1.5%, so 1.2 kgs, and their fat by 2.5%, or 0.3 kgs. Um, statistically, I think the main thing to point out is we're looking at a really low sample size here. So I'm not... I don't take these these stats for 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 too far because I don't even think they sh you should be running p values with these kind of ends. But there was not a significant increase in fat mass for the low energy group. So that 0.3 kgs was was a non significant change. However, it was significant in the high energy group. And when you look at the differences between groups, um, you do see uh, a significantly greater increase in, in fat mass in the high energy group. Now, I think what really matters, so I just threw a bunch of numbers at you, and you're like, whoa, like if you're a listener. What really matters here is what's the ratio? So in the slow gain group, they were gaining lean to fat mass at a rate of 4 to 1, which is pretty freaking good. And in the fast group, they're gaining lean to fat mass at a ratio of 4 to 3. So they're at like basically a one-third of the advantage. Uh, or, or, or like if you think about it, if if for every – four units of, of mass, you're getting three units of fat, you're going to have to do a lot of mini cuts, you know, um, if, if you want to try to control that fat mass. And then the question they is, well, double the muscle though. Like they, well, here, now here's another question though. So anytime you change you fat, mass, fat, you're gaining muscle with you. That, no, that's only 7% though. Like 7% of that it's not fat. Much. It's not much. So yeah, the, I think depending on Hall's equations, it's like it's 13% of adipose tissue is, is going to come up with lean body mass. Um, I don't know how that's going to play out with with using using anthro. So again, we're we're looking at semi fuzzy data in a small sample size, but the data largely mirrors what we saw in Garth. It is a pretty big like from a percentage standpoint, you know, twelve point five percent, twelve point four percent increase in fat versus a two point five percent increase in fat. So it's a, is it that, worth it though? Is it is it worth it? That's the question. That's the question. So it's the, it's, it's the same findings from a. Um, like a, a relative amount of fat gain. So in Garth, you also saw five times the fat gain in the group uh, that was that was gaining quicker. Um, if you go back and look at that, um, now now here's the thing. Here's the reason why I I look at this study in less favorable light um, because, like you were saying, the person who's at eighty five percent of their FFMI, they're probably going to be able to put on some muscle mass in a higher energy surplus. That that's I would agree with that prediction. Right, because they they've got more room to they get to their genetic ceiling. It's got more so, runway. Exactly, Garth. They had a lot of runway. So yeah, they're like twenty. Yeah. So the, these are low FFMI. They're people who the only resistance training they're doing is as a consequence of their sports conditioning. Mostly and what ice they, hockey, right? Yeah, it was it was a mixture of a bunch of elite athletes. I think a lot of them were were ice hockey, but there was um, there was some track Ty and field folks. Yeah. Kayaking, taekwondo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Soccer, yeah, yeah, yeah. So not, not, not football. Exactly, yeah. And they, and they, if you look at the program, it's a pretty solid intermediate program. They basically put them on like your classic strength hypertrophy four day split, right? But that's on top of whatever they're doing. So that means you took someone who I would describe as a definitely someone who's lifted weights. Like these, been playing, these are elite athletes. They've been playing sport and access to SNCs forever. And it's not like they're in a country where they don't do it at all. This is Norway, so strength strength conditioning is a part of their 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 uh their operations. So they're not untrained, but I would classify them probably as late stage novices or early stage intermediates as far as their resistance training experience, right? So if you put those folks into a what amounted to probably a seven hundred calorie surplus, because they're eating about six hundred calories more than the slow gain group, and you give them all of a sudden 
four days of training on top of what they were doing previously. Two upper days, two lower days, progressively overloaded, supervised by an S&C. Um, you would think if there was going to be a group that could benefit from being in that kind of big surplus, it would be this one. Yeah. That's not what happened. Like the um, the gains between groups weren't significantly different, except for the fat mass, and they didn't even get stronger. There was non-significant differences between groups. Um, if you really want to play, like, like I'm gonna try to look at this in the best favorable light. Two out of the three lifts were better in the fast gain group, but I think the uh, the squat was actually stronger in the, you know, the, the non-significant differences didn't even consistently favor for strength the uh, the fast gain group. They were slightly better for lean body mass, but again, with the amount of fat they put on as well, that could be mostly explained by just the, the adipose tissue. So didn't look good. The thing that got me on that study was they, had, they essentially had an uncontrolled concurrent training model because they weren't controlling for their sports practice. True. And so that that was so they they had twelve sets per week, and then if you look at the individual data on that study, they had they had guys in each group that lost that lost mm -hmm. muscle. So that that was that was pretty telling to me. Like even so, maybe they weren't actually in a surplus. Maybe yep. you just maybe you know maybe the kayakers weren't moving that much, and so they were the ones that were in a surplus, and then they were the guys that gained in each because some people gained a ton. Like they had yep. some, they had, they had a couple guys that gained like eight to 10%. Yep. Um, so it was, but those are, that's the thing. Like those are the two studies. So we have, yep. we have this two, 2019 study out of Brazil, which has arguably the, the highest trained population that's ever, not arguably has the highest trained yeah. population that's ever looked at this. And then the thing that the got lowest me at, sample size and then, and then the worst, unfortunate, like again, no, no shot at the, 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 uh, the, the, the people that ran the study, but the, probably the poorest metric of changes in lean body mass. We're looking at, it, at first, a skeletal muscle mass equation that shouldn't be used at all. And then even if you back calculate it, we're, we're relying off skinfold-derived percentages, which is unfortunate. And it's four weeks, too. Even though it's a great sample, it's a small sample. And it's... Um, so, yeah, you're right. We don't have the best data. And, and in that Brazil study, the the thing that got me, like, in the discussion was the... The dirty bulk guys, which was, it was a dirty bulk. Like it was, mm -hmm. they were, they were like a lot of calories. Like, I think they were, their carbs were like 1200. Like it was, it was crazy. It was yeah. Gnarly. I, I can't imagine eating 1200 grams of carbohydrate. The slow game uh, group done a lot of calories. It was on like They were like 700. 700. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they were keeping their fat super low. I was like, why is their yeah. fat at 25 grams? But that, but that's nice that it was controlled, that that wasn't, that variable wasn't different. Um, but the, the slow gain group just to play the devil's advocate and know that like I'm we're 100% probably on the same page, but the slow group. How dare you disagree with me? That's not how science they, works. They, I'm the guru. They, I'm right. Yeah. They, <laughs> the, the slow group had the non-responders. So they had two mm. non-responders. And so that, yeah. that's what kind of jumped out to me is like everybody in the dirty bulk group gained, at least they gained muscle. So to yeah. me, when, when I see this stuff, I'm like, all right, the dirty safe. Like if you're, mm. I know, I know I'm not going to waste time. So if you I would live, agree with that. I would actually agree with that statement. And I, I will, I'm will, I will going to switch and become on your side and we're going to both yell at <laughs> home and we'll be like, yeah, like if, if we want to know for sure that you are going to be anabolic, putting on muscle in the position where you're most likely to make gains, it's the seafood diet. You're like, you're not wrong. It's just, yeah, what's, what's the cost? Is it worth it? Um, and in the real world, you don't just like do something for 12 weeks and no matter what, like in week six, you're like, man, I'm gaining a lot of fat. I'm not getting stronger. Carry on my wayward son. Six more weeks till the study's over. No, you, you might change something, you know? So it's, it's not like this is, um, you're, you're horn, you're shoehorned into these two options. I think in the real world, you could certainly approach things leanish and then be like, you know, that eight week mesocycle didn't do anything. I put on one pound and my lifts are the same and I don't really see much of a difference in the mirror. Maybe I'll give it another eight weeks and, okay, really nothing's happening here. I need to be more aggressive. You know, that's what happens in the real world. Or you do the opposite. You do your dreamer bulk and you're like, wow, <laughs> I guess I have to do a cut now. And I, I actually, I just feel tired on stairs now. That didn't do anything for me, you know. That's the one thing hilarious about Garth, by the way, is that the only significant performance difference. They were slower. <laughs> yeah, they got slower. Yeah, I couldn't jump slower. as high. Yeah. Their legs got fat. Their legs got yeah. bigger. That was the only thing on the desert. Their legs got yeah. bigger and they got slower because they had to carry it around. Exactly. Uh, you wouldn't be you wouldn't be uh, too well thought of in the 
on, on the team sports if your guys got slower. That was that was one of my buddies was uh he was a he was an SSC coach at at a D one school and he would he had like two hundred athletes but he had the volleyball team mm-hmm. and like everything on the volleyball team is after the vertical jump and so he was like hey man he's like I if I got to get these girls vertical jumps higher. Like I have to, like, this is my, I know. He was like, my what job security. he's like, what he's like, he's like, he's doing all this speed velocity based training. I'm like, you got, they got to lose weight. Like just, just mm-hmm. get them to have less body mass and they will jump higher. Yes. Uh, so it's uh, yeah. The, I think we have these two studies and both of us, we see the weaknesses in these studies. We, we also appreciate the, I, we both appreciate the, the amount of, of work that went into both yeah. of these studies. Like if you've, that's one thing, like if you've done science, you will, you, even if you critique a study, you're like, this took a lot of effort. Like I like just watching people live, just, just, just recruiting. Um, and, and so I think that we have to just keep going. We got to do not yeah. necessarily, we got to get better metrics. And that's a, that's, that's a product of funding. That's a product of, of everything. And, and unfortunately the questions that, that a lot of, that we want to answer, that we, that we care about, uh, they're not going to get funded. I mean, you guys, Legion athletics is a supplement company. So they've, yep. and then, but the only real reason that you can probably run that study is because your lab has all that equipment. If you had to buy that, Correct. if you had to buy that equipment, this study would be unrunnable. Um, so even, so you're even labs that, they're still they're using equipment that's paid for by probably disease research which is, is yeah for, here at the sports performance research institute in new zealand it is paid for by by uh, sports research but trust me i'm not i'm not the guy who gets the like the, the the people who are doing concussion research in rugby they get the big money i get the supplement company money so <laughs> it's uh <laughs> i get and i'm very grateful for it like renaissance periodization helped me out legion athletics like that's it's in, it's awesome that we live in a time where that can happen, but the uh, the number of decimals are just slightly different compared to when you get like you know NIH funding or something like yeah, that. yeah. five million dollar R O one like like yeah. was, I I was in a lab that got a five million dollar R O one it was like dude it was like a train of people came in the door it was nuts mm-hmm. uh, not bad like it was it was necessary like we're five thousand mm-hmm. person and like pilot projects like it was super cool uh that's not that's probably never going to happen for the questions that we want to answer so that's one thing i love is that you're starting to see skin in the game from a lot of us it's like hey if we want to answer these questions we're probably gonna have to donate our time we're probably gonna have to donate our money we're probably if we really want to see this stuff done um it's it's gonna take you know it's gonna take some work and and i've i've seen in the last five to five probably five years exponentially like the amount of people that will invest in this stuff and i think a lot of that is is credit to even a lot of people don't people don't want to talk about it but a lot of it is credit to aragon like he started this back in you know 2008 and now a lot of this this evidence-based snc world and people care about it they want they know yeah. that these they know these studies aren't super great and they want to see more they and so that's cool uh that people are demanding this and so if you're listening to this and you have the the opportunity to uh get involved in one of these studies that's one of the things that you can do if you are if you are a trained person you know sacrifice eight weeks of your life and it's probably going to be a really decent training protocol you're going to care about it because you got you got bystander effect and you're probably going to get great results and it's going to be a little bit different than you were what you were doing before so get involved yeah. and if you can get uh, money i totally agree ben like i um as someone who is i've i've competed in 10 shows and and a combined 20 number of weightlifting and powerlifting meets i've been lifting for 15 years i'm incredibly dedicated to the iron when i during my uh my my masters and my phd and now as a research fellow here i've probably been a subject in over 20 studies and I always, I find a way, like it doesn't take that much. You get a little creative. You know, I remember I was sitting in, 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 a, in an office room here at AUT uh, with, with can- cannulated in my arm, measuring my blood glucose every hour for five hours for morning, working off my phone because I couldn't really type with one hand for, you know, every Wednesday, three weeks in a row while we did a reliability uh, assessment of measuring changes in blood glucose and, and fasting insulin and getting a certain preload. And that was for diabetes research. Like it didn't even have anything to do with me. 
did that mess up my uh, my nutritional bit in the morning? Yeah, my breakfast became 75 grams of glucose, but I made it work for the rest of the day. I changed my training around. You know, I, I sometimes I do curls and I started bleeding out of my arm. But hey, like it's because I'm, I'm I'm paying it forward. And and honestly, it's not that hard. Like I had a um, an isokinetic dynamometer uh, assessment where I did this this very fatiguing protocol and I was like all right well that's fine I normally do my leg extensions the next day I will just not do leg extensions have them do that and that that'll replace it the next day shift from my training schedule and hey I'm 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 doing good I'm still making progress I'm still moving moving the needle forward even if it's only taken me you know 5 pounds every 8 years but nonetheless gains so. yeah, okay. yeah I mean the a lot, I think a lot of us that's the thing a lot of us would kill five pounds in, in mm-hmm. a five year. Like, and the, that's the, that's the people that once you get to this land and appreciating returns, and that's where kind of mastery sets in. Like you care about yeah. these nuance you care, you care about these very, very nuanced questions. Um, and that's what I care about. I think that's what you care about as well. I, mm-hmm. I do care. I do care about like, what is the most effective way to get untrained people to a level that is going to protect them. And, and yes. I think that that level is, is very low. Like, and that's, that's like kind of mining the gap. I think getting someone who has, you know, a guy who has a 17 or 16 F of mine, getting him, where does he have to be to get to, to not fall down? Probably like a 20, like maybe yeah. a 19. And Start just, with a two. If we get you to yeah. a two number, then you're good. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that's important. And Arguably, it's more important that. than uh, than us than us muscle miners, you know. Uh, so much more. Tending ten the crops, trying to get just a little more yield, you know. The um, it's a very interesting topic too. Like, there's uh, another thing. Like, you know, we're talking about these these handful of well, let's let's put it right. The two studies that exist, and hopefully, after you and I do our thing, there's surely someone else in the woodworks. Maybe another three, if we add ours in there, they're going to come out in the next few years, um, answering this question directly. But there's also a lot of other. Um, work that we can pull from to kind of get a big idea on this. So I'm fortunate to be a part of uh, a paper that's now in review that's led by uh, Gary Slater. So he's an Australian researcher, pretty well known in the sports nutrition world. And I'm, I'm doing that with a few others where we basically looked at what is the role of a, a surplus as far as creating an anabolic stimulus. Because if you look at um, the debates in kind of the quote-unquote evidence-based world, there's not a unanimous position on this. Like, you know, we've been kind of playing devil's advocate with one another. But some people will say, hey, look, it's, it's all about muscle protein synthesis. It's actually about protein balance. Um, and other people will go, hold on, like, where is this mass going to come from? Even if we just do the math, if you're, if you're you know, using body energy, uh, you know, adipose tissue to, to, to provide your fuel and you are in a positive protein balance, you can only recomp so much. Like, if you're a 10% body fat, at what point... Like you can't only gain so much before you're at essential levels of body fat. And the reality is, is that when you start to get lower and lower and lower in body fat, you start to have things that are going to short circuit your gains. And I think that that's one position, like you can recomp and then, you know, you would just have to eventually be in a surplus, but you can recomp very effectively. There's no reason mechanistically, it's all muscle protein synthesis. But I don't actually think that's true because we have data now showing that if you're in a acute deficit, muscle protein synthesis is actually capped. So there is a, a ceiling effect. It, it doesn't get, get quite as high. And then more importantly, there's other research showing that lean people who are in a deficit versus overweight people who are in a deficit have a different total muscle protein balance. So a lean individual, not only is their muscle protein synthesis capped, just like has been shown out of Stu Phillips' lab that an o- overweight person would, but they also have higher levels of muscle protein breakdown the leaner you get. And this is something that's mirrored in all my anecdotal experiences you can take a, you know, a natural bodybuilder, we'll say a female who's around the high 20s or a male who's in the teens, and you can diet them down till they're about, say, 5% over stage weight. You know, we're talking about you look really good. You could be a, a cover model on, on, a, on a magazine, but you still have another, maybe depending on your height, four to eight pounds to lose before you've got crazy conditioning. That's where you tend to see uh, losses and fullness and muscle size and the appearance of muscle. That's where it gets really difficult. And I think that's where you start to get issues of energy availability, concurrent training from the cardio you may or may not have to do, uh, and just that in- increase in muscle protein breakdown from a mechanistic side of it. 
Um, you know, we see drops in circulating levels of testosterone. And yeah, sure, within the normal physiological range, that's probably negligible. But when you go from, say, one case study in Rossau 2013, the guy goes from 1,000 to 300 or 250, like that's one quarter of your normal production. I, that, that has to have some kind of impact on, on, on whether your ability to gain. And not to mention there's effects on sleep, you know. So there's all these things that are happening. And obviously this, this is – Yeah. Now th- th- these are obviously dieting conditions. But I would think that someone who is trying to stay uh, too lean is going to have kind of a lightweight version of all of that. So there's a lot of different pathways of someone being too lean and um, that would potentially short-circuit progress and, and that, are, that go away as soon as you're in a, a significant surplus. So I, I, think, I think the question is not do you need to be in a surplus or not. It's really what's the size of the surplus. I think – if you are over, if, if you have a substantial amount of body fat, yes, you can absolutely put on muscle, um, and we've seen it time and time again. Like every single study that's out there, when you take untrained or recreationally trained individuals and you don't modify their nutrition and you just have them weight train and they just let their natural ad libitum intake of food happen, most people gain muscle mass, almost everyone gains strength, and you typically see a drop in body fat or a maintain maintenance of body fat percentage and an increase in lean mass. So you don't have to enforce a surplus when you're untrained or recreationally trained. But I do think at a certain stage, um, if you're an intermediate or higher, it's a question of, not a question of should I have a surplus, but it's a question of, all right, well, if I'm not high in body fat, how large should the surplus be? I think that if we're honest and we look at all the data together, which is what the kind of the argument we present in, in, the, in the review paper that will come out soon, um, I, I do think it's a question of, of how big the surplus is, not, not whether it should be there or not. So you're, the the MPS response is going to be blunted in someone who's lean. It lean would be and percentages. I don't think really matter to any of us. Like they we percentages are they just inherently have air. So yeah. like what what would you? So you're saying like a guy probably under nine percent. The odds that you can even gain anyways are going to be low. Yeah. So, so basically it's, it's what's the, what we know, cause I don't want to overstate it. What we know is what's, if we ask the question, is a surplus necessary? Well, we can say that you can still elevate muscle protein synthesis from eating, eating enough protein, um, even though you're not in a surplus and resistance training. And if you are in a overweight category, I'll just use BMI. So if you're, if you're over, over 25 BMI, we've seen that all that does is just lower the, the, the top end muscle protein synthesis response to protein and exercise, right? However, if we're talking about a lean individual, and I think that could probably be categorized by 9%, like you said, in a male, or perhaps uh, under 20% for a meal, for a female. Um, and we, that, that's speculative because I, I don't have a specific data on that. Not only will muscle protein synthesis be blunted similarly to the way it is in someone who is overweight, but you will also have higher levels of muscle protein breakdown. You're probably wondering, oh, why am I catabolic? Well, don't think of it that way. Think of it like this. If you have low levels of body stores of fat, you're going to be relying more on glycogen and also on utilizing uh, amino acids for energy. So you're going to see more uh, conversion in the liver from carbohydrate and fat into other substrates. Uh, sorry, more, sorry, from protein into either carbohydrate and fat into other substrates. So you know your ketogenic amino acids and your uh, glucogenic amino, amino acids, more of them are going to become fuel. Um, and that could potentially be leaving you less to build muscle or protect against muscle loss. Um, and in general, there, there's, there's other data too. Like there was a study done in the, uh, the seventies where they, they put people on, uh, three days of total fasting. So three days don't eat anything. Might've been six days. I can't remember. And they had, uh, men in the obese category and then men in the lean category. Um, and I don't remember what the body fat percentages were, but they were specifically lean, not just normal weight. And you saw a fourfold increase in uh, leucine metabolism and in uh, rates of gluconeogenesis um, all, all between two to fourfold, basically all the markers for using more protein for fuel in the lean individuals, but not in, in the fat individuals. And <laughs> sorry, the, the individuals with obesity. And that was, I think, a study in the 90s. And the one in the 70s looked at their testosterone markers and saw that obese men maintained testosterone levels while being fasted for six days, while lean men had started to decline quite quickly. So yes, we know that a surplus prevents those things from happening. Um, so if you are at maintenance, you could expect something between the two. Because really what maintenance is in the real world is you kind of being in an energy flux. 
you know, and, and, it, and the net balance is that you're not losing tissue and not gaining tissue. So would you have maybe slightly compromised testosterone levels and be using more protein for fuel and having slightly higher muscle protein breakdown and calf muscle protein synthesis not being in a surplus if you're trying to stay Instagram worthy all the time? Probably. Um, and do I think that would prevent you from gaining muscle if you're a novice? No. Novices grow no matter what. But at a certain stage, it's going to at least slow things down, if not uh, put the brakes on it. So I, I do think – No, but here's the rub, though. So then I don't think it's accurate to then say, all right, well, the more and more advanced you get, the more you have to push that envelope. Because – and here's why. We have not shown just because a – a surplus is required to avoid those problems, have we shown that additional surpluses counteract them? So once you're not in a deficit, once you are no longer, uh, once you have provided enough energy, I don't see any advantage of providing even more energy. Um, I haven't seen anything that indicates uh, that that's beneficial. And if anything, being in a massive, massive surplus could cause problems. Um, you know, insulin, even no matter how much you eat, is not going to be at the point where it's more anti-catabolic than just having a protein shake post-workout. It doesn't matter if you're slamming 1,200 grams of carbs like we saw in, in, in the study on bodybuilders. Um, you know, dietary fat, if you're at a, at a low intake, it can, it can potentially harm your testosterone output. But being at a super high intake makes a very marginal difference, you know. Uh, protein, you eat a ton of it, yeah, at a certain point, you are, you're simply just not going to be actually increasing multiple multi protein synthesis or eliminating breakdown. If anything, it's going to make it harder to eat more, you know, because it's so satiating. Um, so there, there's no mechanism by which a larger than small surplus that I can think of from any macronutrient uh, is going to be able to help you. So long as you're meeting your micronutrient needs, you're not in an energy deficit, and you are actually in a surplus, which is the real world problem, which we can talk about in a second. Do I see any benefit to, 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 to being any, in any greater surplus? So that, that's kind of where I'm at. It's like, first, how do we actually know we're in a surplus? Well, are we gaining weight over time? That, that's the key, right? So then it's a question of how much weight should we be gaining over time? And I think, man, uh, the difference between maximal rates of muscle mass gain and submaximal but still gaining uh, muscle mass in a highly trained natural lifter they might as well be the same number. You know, if you're doing, if you're gaining muscle and you can actually measure that and you're an advanced lifter, you're doing almost everything right, in my opinion, or enough of it right that it, that it doesn't matter. And trying to think about the grass being greener, like shit, man, it's, it's, you should just be happy. You can make gains. You've been lifting for 15 years. So in, in my opinion, I think a small surplus is probably what makes the most sense, uh, given the data we have. Um, but the trick is to actually ensure you are in a surplus um, because like, you, like we talked about before we started the call, non-exercise activity thermogenesis ramps up and the amount that you might need to eat to actually fuel muscle protein synthesis because the process of generating muscles is quite metabolically expensive might be more than you expect. You know? So if you do the math, you think, oh, you know, a pound of muscle, that's just – and if I look at how much of that's actually protein, that's only like 800 calories. So I only got to eat to gain one pound a week. I only got to eat 100, 100 calories a day. That's not actually true. Um, some of the, the, the speculative math out there would suggest it's between 2,000 to 3,000 uh, know, calories more per week you have to put on a pound of muscle tissue to overcome the, the cost of it. Uh, and then to potentially, uh, if, if your need goes up, it might even be more than that. So you might have to be, I like to actually use the same figure that we estimate for body fat losses of 3,500 calories to, to gain or lose a pound because of that. And it's not that you're actually in a 500-calorie surplus. It's that you're only in a 100-calorie surplus. But to get to that surplus, you have to eat 500 calories more, which is kind of a confusing little brain-breaking statement. But knowing that the process of putting on muscle costs energy is what you need to know. And I think that that is the most important thing for someone who's trained to figure out. I think yep. fi finding that point where you eating as much as you can and you don't gain weight that that is that is probably the most important data point that you can find um because then then you can go somewhere then you can mm -hmm. cut that because otherwise if what i've seen in in just consulting with people is that there are so many people because of social media or because of just just because of the world that we live in 
of, of, of being a coach, of, of seeing other people in a day-to-day life, that they want to maintain this level of lenience. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and I live at the, I live at the beach. And so that like, if I get up, like I've gotten as high as like 195, 197 in the morning, like I'm puffy, like I'm puffy. Mm-hmm. Like I, I, like right now I'm like 185. Like, and so I have, and my FFMI is around 25. So I have to make the decision in my life. Is it worth it? I'm married. Like, is it legit worth it for me to go get puffy and then have to come down? And it is because I love that. I love this world. Like I'm the same thing as you, like the iron game is matters to me, but maybe if, you know, if, if you make a lot of money off looking a certain way, it might not be, it might not be worth it for you. And so that yeah. that's, but, but that doesn't mean that you, that doesn't mean what I see. It doesn't mean that you get to eat 2,600 calories a week and get 20,000 or 2,600 calories a day and, and have 20,000 steps like that. That's, that's stupid because then you get a ton of these, then you get a ton of this, uh, um, like reduced energy availability symptoms of yeah. all the stuff, which is going to be worse in females than males. Like guys, we got more, we got more room to work with. Um, but you should not be living at, you know, especially if you're a guy, there's no reason for you to be living at a 25 kcal per kilogram of fat free mass on energy availability. There's zero reason for you to be doing that. Yeah. Um, I tend to agree. I think for, for a practical take-home message, what I typically tell people, and this is back calculating from Garth, and I think it goes hand-in-hand hand with the, the new study by Ribeiro, um, and what I've seen anecdotally, for natural lifters who are at, at a certain level where, where gaining comes, come, comes at a slow pace, I typically recommend, on average, around a 1% gain of your body weight per month. And that, you are gaining muscle mass. Like, that, your, your scale weight goes up. You check, look at your, your rolling average every two weeks, and if you're not up you know, 0.5%, so which for a guy that's going to be around a pound, you know, for mm-hmm. a gal, probably half that or, or close to two-thirds of it, you know, and every month. So, for example, that's that's not nothing. Like for me in the off-season, I, I get up to – the puffy thing for me is like 220 because I get on stage at about 180. Um, that's that's 40 yeah. pounds over, over over a shredded stage weight. Um, I'm six foot, so that's not <laughs> – yeah. Dude, I don't, I don't have – like dick measuring pro- – it's, it's cool, man. Like I've – there's plenty of people bigger than me. Poor reason. Absolutely, both of us. And uh, and so so for me, you know, that's me gaining two pounds per month. That doesn't seem like a lot, but man, if you just go to the grocery market and look at like two pounds of meat, not that I'm putting on two pounds of muscle mass a month, I'm probably putting on a pound and a half of fat. You know, if everything goes perfectly, but me me putting on two pounds a month. Um, kilo kilo a month i basically did that for a year and a half in preparation for my show before that ended a couple mini cuts in 2018 before trying to start at a good position uh, and i do think that's where i put on a good chunk of muscle mass at the f i finished my phd i had the time to train hard the way i wanted to focus on bodybuilding do accessory work all that stuff um and that's definitely not a dirty bulk that is looking at small changes over time but it i ensured i was in a surplus and I, I, I ticked a lot of boxes. I made sure I was doing a lot of things lined up. And it really does add up over time. Like if you do a year and a half of putting on a kilo a month, that's a lot of body weight, you know. That's, that's putting on a legitimate amount of mass. Uh, that's, that's 18 kilos, you know. Um, not that I put on that much. I, I, I gained – I went from 92 to 93 to right around 100 in a year and a half. So that's, you know, basically – a pound a month is what I gained. And um, it really paid off. And, my, you know, other things I tracked is I made sure I was getting stronger. So my bench went from, you, I got up to a peak of a 165 kg touch and go bench. So that's uh, from around 147. So I went from like 325 to 365 bench in a year and a half, which isn't crazy. But man, that's great progress for someone at my stage. Um, and, you know, the Wilk score is actually higher if you look at the comparison at you know, 90, 92 versus uh, 98, I think is when I hit that 165. Are so, we really talking about how much we're benching right now? Because this is awesome. <laughs> this is yeah, great. absolutely. That's, that's what matters. 40, not the stupid pounds, percentage change. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Shit, like 365 on a bar. Like, like mm. I, I thought I was going to get you. Like, that's my one lift. Well, then, well, well you, you'll get me right now. I only weigh, like, I was weighed in at like 82 something this morning after a refeed. So, uh, so yeah, I mean, right now I can bench maybe 315 touch and go. So I'm not there right now. This this tender tender shredded glute body weight. So it's okay. I'm 
it's fine. So you so you you were checking. I think the the biggest thing, the boxes that we want, if you're an advanced trainee and you're listening to this and you feel like you've been spinning your wheels, the boxes that we want you to check would be, hey, figure out how much you can eat. That's step one. Then mm-hmm. you got to eat more, right? Yes. And you got you got to eat more and that's going to suck because you're going to have appetite regulation. Eventually, you're just not going to want to do it. You're probably going to yep. have to use some hyperpalatable food. You're probably going to have to go out to eat, stuff like that. Yes. It's going to have to happen. And then the number two thing, because this shit is hard to measure, like ultrasounds, DEXAs, they all have variability. It's all tough. Um, we're trying to pick up a pound in a, like, a, maybe if we're lucky, maybe a pound in a year, maybe a pound and a half in a year. And you're probably, a lot of the sensitivity of these, of these devices don't have that. So yeah. your be- your best proxy is going to be, are you getting stronger? Yes. And and probably not even a one rep max setting, probably more in like a five to eight rep max setting. Maybe. Yeah. Or you like you have volume across sets. I think that's a great way to look at it, especially in isolated movements. Um, you know, that, that's that's one thing when you look at the relationship between strength and size. Um, it tends to be stronger in trained individuals and it tends to be stronger when you're looking at something that has a lower skill component. So, yeah, absolutely. You want your bench squat, rows, chins, deadlift to go up. But if you're believe it or not, like if you're if your preacher curl has gone up you know, across four sets, the total volume you can do, that's probably a good sign your biceps are bigger because there's not a whole lot else that you can, like, there's no, like, Ed Cohn uh, four-hour seminar on how to do a preacher curl. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's, there's there's definitely, uh, there's probably some muscle mass gains if that occurred. I That's the biggest thing that's changed in me the last two years. So I was, like, I was an Olympic lifter. Then I got, then I was just like, I'm just want to have fun. I'm just going to do stupid shit and beat myself in the ground. Well, not stupid, but just like a lot of circuit training. Yeah, a lot of, fun I, well, first, first, I guess I was, I was a CrossFitter. I'm an addict. I love shit like that. So, and I just love lifting and I'm, mm-hmm. and people have tried to calm that down my whole life. And I'm like, no, it's going to happen. Um, and so this was, this was the first, like probably two year stretch where I've done, and I got pretty big just doing mostly compound lifts, like, yep squatting cleaning snatching like doing your prototypical weight room lifts um and this was the first two-year block i hired one of my buddies who's actually worked with you guys too who who has the highest fmi that i've ever seen he's got 27 naturally he's just insane big uh big dude big dude um and, and so i was like hey i'm just gonna train like a bodybuilder because it's the only thing left uh so let's just do it and immediately took my compound sets down to you know i'm doing two sets of bench a week, maybe three. And I'm doing so many flies, so many anterior del exercises. And that made such a big difference because I'm having, I've never, I've never like even like a leg press or like yeah. a leg extension machine. Like, very I've novel never, for your body. Yeah. I've never felt that level of like muscular, like that level of muscular tension on that system. Even like we can argue whether metabolic stress is a good or bad thing, but you're not going to get the same level of metabolic stress in your quads that you get from a leg extension versus you're going to have to do a lot of sets of squats probably. And, uh, and just the, the total, the total targeted tension, even if we, we don't accept uh, metabolic stress as, as a factor, when you can effectively do a lot of uh, accessory movements and you're not too tied to the classic weightlifting and powerlifting movements, Man, like I, I train very similarly. I I, um, I do enough to maintain and improve my skill on the movements that I want to get stronger on. But like right now, um, for example, I do three sets of competition bench per week. But I do three sets of pec deck. I do three sets of cable pullovers, which are, are, are pec as well. I do three sets of a hammer strength incline. I do three sets of a Smith decline. I do three sets of flat dumbbells all in the same week. So of my 18 sets that I do for, for chest, only 25% of them or less, sorry, a fifth of them uh, or less than a fifth are one sixth math. There we go. Are, are, are bench press. And it's similar for, I do safety bar squats is my kind of main squat pattern, but I have leg press. I have sissy squats, I have leg extensions. Um, and it's the same for every single muscle group. And I've seen, the, the best progress I've made from a bodybuilding perspective in the last uh, two years from doing that, that, that this style of training along with that kind of 1% body weight gain on average almost per month for, for uh, that year and a half period where I was doing it. So I, I totally agree, man, that that's kind of the, the game plan. If you want to be able to do that, you have to commit 
on all fronts and kind of wage this this war on maximizing every hypertrophy variable. So I, I totally agree. It's and that's the compliment I think between powerlifting and bodybuilding is mm-hmm. because power, you're what we're trying to fight here is probably an injury or a sickness because that's yeah. what's really going to knock people out, right? So if you can and the the perfect compliment to a ton of competition lifts is to take them away, maintain them, do exactly what I think both of us are doing, save your joint stress, and then and then you can run an intensity block, and and you're probably going to be stronger because you put on a bunch more muscle. Uh, what are you talking? Oh, this sounds like some kind of weird word where you 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 like you you take your training, you break it up into periods, and you make them complementary. We should we should make a word up like maybe I don't know like uh, like periodization or something. <laughs> I, I think it's probably what I would call it. Ben, this this yeah. has been a really awesome discussion, dude. Um, and I think I think I'm I'm really appreciative of the uh, of, of, of the of the work you're doing. I love that you know when you emailed me, I found out I'm not the only person who's trying to do a study on this, and it makes me think, well, dude, if some 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 brocephus of mine in in South America is doing this, and I'm doing this in New Zealand, there's got to be at least one other person. So I am hopeful for the future, um, so that it's not just the, these good speculative talks. I think we're going to have some good data moving forward. I agree, man. I'm I'm super pumped, and the let's do this again in in two years, um, and we might have we might have a different story to tell, um, and then and hopefully we're both maybe two to three pounds more jacked. That would be amazing if we can keep gaining <laughs> a pound per year, man. By the time we're 85, we're gonna be like, I mean, probably hopefully alive, but also hopefully really jacked. Yeah. Yeah, I'm gonna be I'm gonna be way more jacked than you. How old are you? I'm 36. Oh, dude, I got you, buddy. Yeah, you're good. I mean, you're 85. You're, you're you're 85. <laughs> I'm 82. I got a shot. Let's bench max you in. You're gonna beat I'm, me at the Masters eight IPF World Champs. I'm the only two live <laughs> people. And if you can actually bench the bar, you'll win. So, <laughs> I right, man, I appreciate you. Um, have a great day. And it, how can just tell people? People probably know how to find you. But where, if you were gonna point per, people to one place, where would that one place be? The one place would be 3dmusclejourney.com. That is the number three, the letter D, musclejourney.com. It's a one-stop shop. You can find our blogs, our YouTube, our podcast. Those are all free. And then if you want to get really into the weeds, there's a link there to monthly applications and strength sport where we reviewed that study I was talking about and also my books, which are the guides on how to gain this muscle as an advanced lifter, the muscle and strength pyramids. It's all there. You can find the links. Those are those are. I've read those books. I have them. I look at them. I looked at them before we had this podcast. They are, they are solid. I think like if there's so much there, like if you're, if you're, I always, I always talk about like warp speed. So like, if you're just getting into that field, if you read those two books, like it's, it's almost like cheating. Like you just, you just learned so much. Um, so I cheat pre- with me. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I appreciate your time, man. Um, you're going to be down here in March next year. Uh, for the for the event where you're going to speak for like two to three hours and then it's going to be a lot like this probably people are going to present on on certain topics and we're going to have a discussion about it um and i think that's the if we're trying to crowdsource this crowdsource this stuff and then get more people involved and just have them fall in love with the process of science um that's that's the game man so appreciate you hey i appreciate you having me on this has been a really pleasure man thank you Pura vida, nos vemos pronto. Sí. <laughs>